0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending May 20th, 2023. This week, be sure to listen to this episode before Disney Plus removes it. I'm Kim Hollis, the new starting catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. (laughs) With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, also changing his name to
1: Max. But everyone's still going to call me Tim anyway, so it's not really going to (laughs) matter in the long run.
0: (laughs) David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst and wanting to wish my
2: beloved Kimberly the happiest of birthdays. You're the greatest, baby. Oh, thank Aww. you.
0: And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Buriel, who dropped an outtake on our Patreon last week.
3: If you want to hear someone ranting and spewing nonsense, just listen to David Zaslov or visit our Patreon and listen to an outtake. All our content there is free, but my
1: OnlyFans, you have to pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bonus content. (laughs) Insert air horns here.
0: (laughs) In our deep dive this week, if you needed more evidence that the industry was coming apart at the seams, you had to look no further than Disney. David, can you break the bad news to our listeners?
2: I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I'm literally updating people on this story in between takes of this podcast. It's gotten that strange, and this was one of the wildest weeks ever for Disney. They canceled Lake Nona in Florida due to the state becoming so anti-business. They hit the story about the Star Wars hotel being closed by using Nona as a diversion. ESPN has leaked flagship. The initiative to convert its content to digital is the main form of consumption. And, oh yeah, it removed dozens of series from Disney Plus hulu but it did not remove that one because everybody shouted them down sadly big shot was one of the ones that will be gone as we predicted here last week as were willow why the last man and the mighty ducks game changers oh and i think possibly just maybe bob Iker <laughs> has figured out a path to the white house in 2028 by slapping around ron DeSantis mercilessly in 2023 i write about disney for a living my job should not be this insane
3: David, if you were going to predict what shows Disney was going to pull off the streaming service, I'm sure you would have started with The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, but despite this rather bleak news, Disney continues to chug along as if it were business as usual. With the impending release of the new Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Disney's announced that all the Indiana Jones films, as well as their television series, Young Indiana Jones, will finally be coming to Disney Plus and, get this, Paramount Plus. Oh, wait what? <laughs> Apparently Disney does not have full ownership of all the Indiana Jones movies and so they have to share. And at the upfronts in New York this week, Disney announced the release dates of a slate of upcoming new series on Disney Plus, including season 2 of Loki and the Hawkeye spin-off Echo.
2: Also, we should mention that Loki and Echo will take divergent approaches with the releases. Loki's going to maintain the conventional strategy for Disney Plus by airing an episode a week. Conversely, the week after Thanksgiving, Disney Plus will dump all Echo episodes on the service to encourage binge-watching. I have no idea why they're waiting until after a five-day holiday though. Uh, has Disney ever dumped an entire series all at once before? Definitely not a Marvel or Star Wars series. It is something they've tried a few times, just a handful of times, but it is definitely not a strategy they've employed for anything that like is super expensive and matters to them.
3: Well, we'll have to see how that plays out. But if we need a more dire news, and really, do we? Disney announced their fall TV slate for ABC, and there's nothing more bleak these days than a TV schedule under the shadow of the writer's strike. ABC's schedule is being described as strike-proof, full of reality programming and reruns of Abbott Elementary.
2: When we say strike-proof, don't we just mean terrible?
3: (laughs) I said last week that the irony here is that the writer strike is accelerating the demise of broadcast TV. I mean, look at the CW slate. It's hilariously bad. While a series like Walker and All-American have survived the axe, there's not many shows that have. But fans of F-Boy Island can rejoice as the show that was unceremoniously dumped by HBO Max is back with new episodes and a new series, F-Girl Island, will premiere at midseason. The CW is doing so terribly that they cut away from a live golf tournament to show syndicated reruns last week. Here's a network that's not going to be around much longer.
2: That whole thing, I mean, that's one of the funniest stories in recent memory because it became the first time Live Golf has created even a news ripple since it started airing on the CW. <laughs> Here's an actual headline from golf.com this week. After viewership debt, Live Golf has quietly stopped reporting TV ratings. That's right. They don't. Even want to talk about their ratings anymore. This happened after Live executives claimed that people shouldn't trust Nielsen ratings, that it indicated the new startup is a complete bust. Hey Kim, what does lying cat say about all that? Lying. <laughs> this whole thing. I I don't know who they're fooling, but Nextstar was trying to paint this as a positive, as if there's renewed interest in live broadcasting on their channels now because of the slight controversy from Live Golf. And everybody else is just looking at them like, sure, honey, that's right, honey. Of course, honey. Yeah, go play outside.
3: (laughs) I started this week by thinking that maybe 2023, 2024 was really going to be the sunset of traditional broadcast television. Whatever we get after the strikes are over, it's not going to look anything like what broadcast television did before the strike. At this point, I'm wondering if maybe 2022-23, last year, was basically the last good television broadcast season.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a real chance we were in the death throes and didn't even know it at the time. (sighs) Yes. The
3: streamers will survive the strike. In the end, they will make deals with the writers and the writers will get something and everyone will hold back
2: their bile for another three years. I don't know how broadcast television survives. I mean, look, the biggest story of the week is the one we've just kind of glossed over at this point. But I mean that ESPN has planned this project called Flagship. And what Flagship really means is one day soon, they're just going to switch to digital. Now, they have set up their contracts with multiple cable carriers and with multiple sports organizations. Organizations, wherein they will be able to air all the programming that is on conventional cable ESPN on ESPN+. And when that date happens, it breaks linear television. It really does. That is not hyperbole. Now, they will air it on both, but they're really telling people, we know where the future is. But again, it's just what we've been tracking these last four years, all summarized in one story. Disney currently makes about $700 million a month just from carriage fees for its linear program programming 700 million for ESPN services alone and now they're making maybe maybe one-third of that with their ESPN Plus subscribers, which means we're talking about a net loss of $500 or $600 million monthly until they're able to adjust the balance and get this going again. Now, I will say multiple sources have reported they expect this to become a high-margin business eventually for Disney with ESPN Plus, but we're not going to be there for a while, and until we do, we're going to see the headlines like we've been tracking the last 18 months where and everybody's looking around going wait we were promised profits where's the profits
3: and talk about glossing things over, I hardly want to talk about the fact that Disney is actually removing content from Disney+. Plus. I thought maybe they'd remove some show I'd never heard of, but no, they're actually removing original programming created expressly for Disney+. Plus. This is, on the one hand, heartbreaking. On the other hand, I have to say, I think there's opportunity here. Those of you old enough will remember something called the Disney Vault, where Disney would put up movies on VHS and later on on DVD, and then say, you got to buy it now because it's going to go back into the vault and then you're not going to see it again for a while, I would argue that they can turn this into a marketing opportunity, say that these shows are going into the vault and then maybe a couple of years later, they are coming out of the vault again and maybe they get a little boost in viewership and maybe for one or two of them, if there's enough interest, maybe it comes back with like a second season, a way to promote the show.
2: Well, great. Now I'm really freaked out because I know that on July 24th, I finally, and I mean, finally, get my season 11 of Futurama. And now you got me scared that right after they air it, they might put it in the Disney vault again until they're ready to do season 12, which for Futurama could be 15 years from now. (laughs) I'm actually
1: glad we're circling back to that because I was like, wait a minute. One of the shows being removed is Willow. Um, The show will have existed for less than six months on Disney Plus before being taken away, possibly forever. If If you're blank, you missed it. If you're at the end of November and the information we have says all these programs will be removed from Disney Plus on May 26th. So yeah, that's blowing my mind that that is even possibly a thing anymore.
3: Yeah, the whole Disney programming thing is a mess right now. There's been talk as well about the merger of Hulu into Disney Plus. Analysts are saying, well, it's a fait accompli at this point. Disney clearly wants to keep Hulu. And even Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast, who owns a stake in Hulu, is saying, oh, looks like Iger wants to keep Hulu. I am frustrated that people are having trouble separating the content from the service. It is very easy for Disney to say, we want all the shows on Hulu. We just don't want Hulu. In fact, they do it. Everywhere around the world, except in the United States, all the shows on Hulu are available in Disney Plus when you click something called Star. If you could just do that on Disney Plus, presto, Disney gets all the content. They don't keep Hulu. It doesn't mean that just because the Hulu content is moving onto Disney Plus that you must keep
2: the brand Hulu. You're correct, but I'll also make the counterpoint that you have to be careful here. Otherwise, it becomes HBO Now versus HBO Live versus HBO Max versus Max. When you start changing the name multiple times, you start frustrating consumers. So if you're going to do that, you can maybe change the name from Hulu to star once. But that's it. And it's kind of a shaky situation we're in. And Tim, circling back to your point, I'm just speculating here, but I feel like if you listen to our podcast reruns within the last three months, that's how recent it was that one of the producers of the show was saying, look, we're not filming right now, but we have every intention of doing another season of Willow at some point. And so we went from, hey, it's time for the new Willow series to, all right, it's not renewed, but they're saying there's still hope to it's been banished from existence (laughs) it will
1: it will never have existed if you talk to someone a year from now say hey remember there with the Willow tv show everyone's gonna look at you like you're crazy
2: right in six months i mean i can't even keep up at this point the stories are coming so fast on this
3: just how poorly did willow do that It's being treated this way now Honestly, of all the shows that are being banished, Mighty Ducks, Game Changers or Big Shots, the one show that really would make sense to go into the vault and then come out of the vault with a second season attached would probably be something like Willow. Is that really their intention? No, I don't think anyone at Disney Marketing is thinking about that right now. I think everyone at Disney Marketing is
1: thinking about keeping their jobs right
0: now. But there's lots more news this week, Tim. What have we got?
1: Uh, well, believe it or not, at the Warner Brothers Discovery upfronts this week, which includes their their networks such as TNT and TBS, we got the final reveal of a horribly kept secret that AEW will have a new show, AEW Collision, coming to TNT on Saturday night, starting June seventeenth, and they also other terribly kept secret that they didn't announce is that this will very likely be centered around uh, some guy called CM Punk. Uh, but they're also <laughs> their reality behind the scenes, reality show AEW all access will be available on, on max as they've canceled their YouTube shows, which if you really wanted like AW, they, 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 you could watch them there for free, but they've, they've canceled. And, we did. and you guys did, you guys did. They've canceled those shows. So now all AW product will be under the WBD umbrella. I think they can trust David Zasloff, Tim. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they, sure they can. So this is possibly leading towards maybe a streaming deal, but there's, there's, there's there was more than that, right, David? There's
2: a lot of open-ended nature here. For instance, AEW has developed this annoying tendency, and I say this as a super fan of them as a rule, but they kind of like to create this sort of speculation and innuendo, which I think is a terrible business practice. I am all about full transparency. There was confusion initially about whether or not All Access had actually switched to Max, or whether it's going to be just airing reruns on Max. And there still is a lack of clarity about that. We have already seen Roads to the Top on HBO Max, which was a previous AEW product, so it's not even new. We've got all kinds of things along those lines. And there was kind of an expectation that there was going to be an announcement of a contract extension, Tim. And speculation was that it was a nine-figure deal, which would be, you know, for a company of this size, we've discussed this previously, a very, very lucrative offer. And mm-hmm. that may be the case, but nobody is saying any- And in fact, now they're specifically saying they had no intention of saying anything. And it's kind of fascinating because AEW and the monopolistic company that leads this era, the one run by the sex pest, WWE. Both have contract renewals coming up in 2024, and right. it's May of 2023. This is usually the time when those negotiations are completing, not starting. So I was surprised they didn't announce something. Tim, were you?
1: A little bit, yeah. And then relatedly, there was nothing that Fox or NBC Universal had stated about their WWE deals either. But yeah, it, it seemed to be like, in addition to announcing this, this show, it just seemed like that they were going to announce a renewal or extension or, or big, huge TV deal for AEW on on you know the TNT and TBS through the Warner Brothers Discovery upfronts, but no, we didn't. We didn't get that, and that's a little surprising. But give, given the way Tony Khan likes to run things, possibly he's saving these things for a big announcement down the line. I think it's coming. It's just a matter of time.
2: The remarkable part, that's not even the only TBS news we've got right now, because let's be honest, TBS is dying. So we don't expect a lot of news (laughs) along those lines. But the network is bringing back an old favorite. And Tim, it's not even a surprise what it is, is it? You predicted this a few weeks ago. What's the show? Yeah, they're going to reboot the Joe Schmo show. You know, jury
1: Jury Duty was so popular. And that, that feels like what it's what it's based off of. So might as well bring it back for the unscripted era where we can't have a whole lot of things written right now.
2: If they're going to rip us off, we'll rip us off.
3: <laughs> I do have to question whether maybe this was already in production. There is a trailer for the new season of The Josh Mo Show already. And I wonder how much of that could possibly have been filmed, given that the viral nature of jury duty started only maybe,
2: what, a month and a half ago? Yeah, but you can film it yeah reality show in six weeks if you think about it jury duty itself was only what, what did they say Tim? 20 some days
1: yeah like like 21 to 22 days for the length of that trial on jury duty so yeah they can be very quick productions for reality shows
2: it's just hilarious to me that there's a second one of these because you know it, it's kind of a quiet damnation an indictment of netflix reality shows like the Floor is Lava and Is It Cake? They've gotten so aggressively stupid <laughs> that you can make any of them and people will be like, oh yeah, I totally believe that's a Netflix show at this point.
3: And yet, even with all this turmoil, Netflix is just chugging along This week at the upfronts, Netflix announced that their advertising tier had hit 5 million subscribers just six months after launching. Netflix is like, oh my God, guys, can you believe it? An advertising tier is amazing. Did you know about this? I mean, look at all this money we're making.
1: (laughs) Had Netflix always had upfronts? Because since they didn't have advertising until very recently, it it seemed like they didn't need to have it. They could just announce stuff whenever because the theoretical point of upfronts was to appeal to advertisers.
3: That's right. I believe that only now that they actually need to to sell ads, are they actually coming to New York to do their upfronts? Okay.
2: The whole thing is hysterical to me. It just basically reminds me of Apple way back when, when, you know, like all these other places were trying to do the same thing as Apple and just couldn't do a damn thing right. And Apple's just coming along going, yeah, we're going to increase prices again. Oh, you're happy to pay it. Great. Great. This is easy. <laughs>
0: All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, let's cover a little bit of the box office.
1: Sure. Like last week we're recording this on on Fridays, so we don't have full numbers for this weekend's big release, Fast X, Fast 10, but we actually have to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 cuz it came in with the second weekend 62 million and that's down 48%, which actually is out freaking standing
2: stunningly good stunning somewhere somebody at marvel's looking around going where the hell has this been the last two years right we
1: haven't seen this too much with with marvel properties especially post-covid they also looked around and said who am i talking to everyone else got fired so yeah 214.7 million domestically after the weekend it heads into this weekend 235 million
2: and with no real competition this weekend there's
1: only some scrub sequel right yeah some like furious and fast or something or other
2: (laughs) (laughs) has anything killed a franchise more efficiently than Hobbs and shaw seriously
1: yeah we only have a thursday number right now which appears to be 7.5 million and that just feels really weak
2: it has always been a product that has relied heavily on international
1: yeah, markets. That's why the last like three movies exist is because of how well they did overseas, especially China. And that's um that's been struggling to recover, hasn't it?
2: That box office? Yes. And just to a larger point, I'm dead serious. After Hobbs and Shaw, everybody looked around and went, if Jason Statham and The Rock can't tell a good story, they should stop trying. And they should have stopped trying, but they didn't stop trying. So we've got more terrible failures films and I'm just sad for everybody except for Jason Momoa who somehow come out of this looking great. (laughs) There have been
1: diminishing returns because after Furious 7 which was probably got a bump because it was the Paul Walker send-off that made... 353 million and 1.5 billion worldwide. Um there have been diminishing returns on on the last couple and yeah Ho- Hobbs and Shaw is included in there and it probably didn't help F9 which was 2021 and came out with 173 million domestically, 719 worldwide. So I think people are finally had enough of this franchise cuz it's just too goofy, too silly, too over overblown and and ridiculous for people anymore.
2: And it's time to acknowledge the fact that John Cena is an anti box office draw. <laughs> <laughs> being a jerk. That's an objective truth now, <laughs> but also me being a jerk a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Tim, let's move on to the ratings.
1: Sure. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, April 17th through Sunday, 2023. And I call it an interesting list this week. We've got an awaited new entry, something David predicted a month ago, hilariously, uh, and a returning show to acquire But let's see what we got. Uh, the top show on originals is diplomat 1.3 billion minutes for eight episodes this premiered on april 20th so it is just a three-day weekend number uh so i do expect that to take a jump so this is this is solid but not spectacular and roll you were a big fan of this show
3: yeah i can't imagine it would ever be something spectacularly successful like Wednesday. But I think for what amounts to a very cerebral type drama, I think that's a great number.
1: Okay. I mean, I'm thinking more along the lines of like a night agent, which jumped to like three billion its first full week. So we're not going to see that here. The Diplomat's a lot more
3: intelligent in its content. I've compared it to the West Wing and the night agent it has been compared to 24. So take that for what you will. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Second, I was hoping to see where this would land this week. Love is Blind, uh, 1.2 billion minutes. So this is the first full week after the ill-fated attempt at a live finale on the 16th of April. So once that did not air as planned, and then they said, okay, we're going to record it and then throw it up for you later, people definitely checked it out because the show usually tends to tank after its season finishes and the finale premieres. But people had to wait an extra day or two, and that accounts for another very solid rating here.
2: Tim, given what we know about the editing on Love is Blind, are we sure this wasn't the joe schmo reboot
1: <laughs> <laughs> everyone on here is a sucker it's all schmos. <laughs> in third we have the mandalorian it's third season of eight episodes now complete 24 episodes total a bit over 1 billion minutes pretty standard uh number four at, at this point as it more or less is disney plus's flagship show whether you like it or not and most people didn't after the after this season
0: i enjoyed the last few
2: episodes very well
1: Okay. And as we know, Star Wars is always in
2: trouble when I like it.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Exactly. Fourth, uh, sliding from first last week is Beef. 937 million minutes for 10 episodes. Still very solid. So I'm waiting for a season two of that. But I think there's reason to hold off on green lights of shows at this point.
3: Yeah, I might have mentioned previously that I thought Beef was A24's first series. As it turns out, it's not. I do believe it is their second, but their first series was a little show on a channel that very few people watch called HBO, a show called Euphoria. Oh,
2: God. Seriously?
3: Yeah. Can't you tell with all the neon lighting?
1: Netflix's The Night Agent is 5th, 760 million minutes for 10 episodes. Apple TV Plus's Ted Lasso, 719 million minutes for 28 episodes total, as it's in the middle of its third season, and I have some more thoughts on this later. 7th, Florida Man from Netflix, 655 million minutes for seven episodes, so- was probably hoping for better. We did like this trailer. I don't know if any of us have, have had a chance to watch this yet, but I'm not excited about its odds for a, a second season Though with this number.
3: I haven't watched it yet, but given that uh, it's looking like it's going to be pretty slim pickings for a while, I expect that I will get around to watching it soon.
1: Uh, returning in eighth from Prime Video, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, 537 million minutes, 38 episodes. The first three episodes of the fifth and final season dropped on the 14th, and then it'll be weekly from here, so it added one more on the 21st.
2: So the first four perfect episodes of the
1: perfect season to date. Got it. Yes, as you can tell, David is a big fan of the show and the collective works of Amy Sherman Paladino in general, as most of come us. At me,
2: come at me, Roll. come at me.
1: In ninth from Paramount Plus, so we have a nice little mix of streamers on the original start this week. Star Trek Picard, 400 million minutes for 30 episodes as the finale arrived on Paramount Plus this week.
3: Never really did get that pop at the end, but it did manage to stay in the top 10.
1: Yeah, I'm just happy to see it here once we got those Paramount Plus numbers as it just season three became a full on next generation reunion. So, yeah, that was enough to to get people interested to check it out. And in 10th, The Marked Hearts, 24 episodes, 337 million minutes. The second season of this Colombian mystery thriller series arrived on the 19th. Movies is led by The Snowman, 415 million minutes. This is a... 2017 mystery thriller starring Michael Fassbender that returned to Netflix from wherever it was on April 16th, <laughs> immediately shot to the top of Trending on Netflix. And about a month ago, David said, hey, Tim, this is going to be the number one movie in a month. And yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Folks, if you're going to watch something with Rebecca Ferguson right now, this isn't it, okay? <laughs>
1: Something else new, and I guess it's new this time, in second. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, 407 million minutes. Oh, this had the actual release in December. I somehow completely forgot about that. This movie was Oscar bait. It was fishing for Academy Awards and got none. Oh, because it wasn't any good. Okay, 44% of Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) This arrived on Netflix during this ratings week, so sure. Okay, I think it'll drop off quickly from here. Last week's top movie, The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die, is third, 311 million minutes. Uh, Moana from Disney Plus is in fourth 259 million minutes so when the the evergreen Disney titles float up to the top half of the movies chart now you can tell it's not a great week for movies but in fifth from Peacock Cocaine Bear still here 253 million minutes that is on my list to check out eventually too Now that is here uh six from Prime Video Ticket to Paradise we saw that Last week, 204 million minutes. And in seventh, guys, we finally have a second Apple TV Plus title to make the ratings. Because here is Ghosted, 192 million minutes. So it took a terrible week for movies for it to happen. And also, you know, needing to cast two of the most attractive people on the planet. And a terrible movie.
2: The movie's not terrible, it's just not that great, but it is a lot of fun. However, this does remind me of how the Baltimore Ravens backup quarterback made the Pro Bowl this year because nobody else would go. This number, 192 million, should not be in the top 10. No. A terrible, terrible, terrible week.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we usually don't see... Under two hundred million minutes, make the movies chart. Maybe it'll be tenth w- uh, for for a week. But yeah, we've got four this week. So this is this is an awful week for movies, and that's why we're finally seeing another Apple TV Plus title. So Ted Lasso, you're not alone anymore. But Peacock is still doing better than you somehow. uh Something else new in eighth uh, the Mustang, hundred eighty seven million minutes. This arrived on April sixteenth. It is a drama, twenty nineteen drama about an incarcerated inmate who participates in a rehabilitation program centered around the training of wild. Courses. Ah. Uh, uh, ninth from Disney Plus, Encanto, 185 million minutes and Matilda from Netflix still here in 10th, 161 million minutes. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before led by the returning Better Call Saul, 927 million minutes because the sixth and final season arrived on, on Netflix on the 18th. So it added those episodes and somehow people were content to wait like a year for it to show up on Netflix and then they, they finally watched it to see how it ended. So we had... General Quiet Week, we did get three shows breaking a billion. We got the premiere of The Diplomat, the Love is Blind finale, the Mandalorian finale. But yeah, I, I do think we are headed into um, a not great period. I'm curious to see if the jump The Diplomat takes with the full week. But yeah, given what led the movies and the general sadness of the movies list, it seems like it's going to be a pretty depressing couple weeks before we get some hopefully bigger releases in the future. But I'm not quite sure what's what, what those are just yet.
2: I do think that the Better Call Saul number is impressive, in that what i take from it is if you do great television after it ends it's going to find an audience and so when we tie this together with the disney story which is really the Zaslov story when you pull this content you're reducing the chance it ever finds an audience and one of the thoughts i had here you know the mighty ducks is one of the shows that was canceled and then banished from existence that's a lauren graham show if streaming had existed in the early 2000s, this could have easily happened to the Gilmore Girls because it was every year narrowly avoiding cancellation. And I mean narrowly. And Kim and I were in Nielsen families a couple of weeks, and we made sure to fill out our thing because we were afraid to get canceled and be on us if we didn't fill it out. That sort of thing can't happen now because we're killing any chance of word of mouth if we're just eliminating shows From the catalog. And it's so infuriating to watch because this also applies to Breaking Bad, which we all know had a limited first season and was basically not watched until you could say at best midway through the second season, but in reality, not until well into the third season of this show did it start to find a real audience of significant numbers. What we're doing right now is cannibalizing ourselves and it needs to stop.
0: Thanks, Tim, for the ratings. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy this past week. I'm going to talk about a YouTube show that David and I watch at least once a week, but sometimes more often if we happen to see a older show that we are interested in. It's called Beard Meets Food, and it features Adam Moran, who is a British professional competitive eater. Yes, you will have seen him in the Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest. He is a tiny, skinny man who has a one of those big, long beards that you often see these days. And yes, he goes around to different restaurants around the United States and in Britain and will take on their challenges. So if it's like eat an entire giant pizza in 30 minutes, he will try to do that or he will try to set the record or whatever is the case. And usually he succeeds. But it's not just about watching him competitively eat food though he is obviously pretty good at that. It's really more, he's got a really charming personality, a lot of humor. People know him and enjoy him as he's going to these different places. And a lot of times people don't think a little tiny guy like him could possibly win their contest because they don't know him. And it's just a lot of fun. If you're just looking for a nice diversion, I highly recommend this, that you can generally watch an episode in 10, 15 minutes. Beard meets food. And that's beard, M E A T S, food. Raul, how about you?
3: I'm sure I've mentioned the Vlogbrothers on YouTube here before. This is brothers John and Hank Green, who create regular videos on YouTube. John Green, of course, is the author of the wildly popular The Fault in Our Stars, as well as other books that have been adapted into movies and series. But his brother Hank has been the idea man, as he thought of this approach of communicating with his brother John more than 15 years ago after the two had grown apart. Since then, Hank's also become a best-selling author and a musician, but the two of them have collaborated on multiple projects, including the podcast Dear Hank and John. And together, they co-founded the YouTube Creators Conference VidCon. They create the educational YouTube videos Crash Course and SciShow. And the two of them operate the Project for Awesome, a charitable endeavor that's building a maternal hospital in Sierra Leone. I'm mentioning this today because in today's video, Hank announced that he's been diagnosed with cancer. The news was a gut punch, and while it's Hodgkin's lymphoma and the prognosis is good. It's left me a little stunned. If you have a few minutes this week, I encourage you to look up John Green's recent update from Sierra Leone, which I will add to the show notes. The progress on the hospital that's being built there in collaboration with Partners in Health is astounding. And it's all thanks to donations from their online fans. Even if there's bad things happening in the world, it's nice to know that there's still plenty of good people out there doing awesome things. And Hank and John Green remind me of that every day.
1: Tim, how about you? Uh, So I binge more of Ted Lasso season three yesterday, meaning I got to watch five episodes. So I've seen seven of the 10 available to this point. Previously, that would have been enough time to watch the entirety of season one with a couple episodes of season two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it's definitely more good than bad here, but I'm not used to bad in this show. Seasons one and two were near perfection. And there's always bits in each of these episodes that just aggravate me because they are bloated and overstuffed with too many plot lines. And I... Still don't really care about Keely. I'm mad that there is an attempt to rehabilitate Nate, despite you know his heel turn throughout season two and well, it was hinted at in season one. I mean, I, I like when the soccer show actually focuses on soccer for some reason, mm-hmm. it's weird. So that part works for me. Beard is great, Roy is great. Some of the other things just feel a little too forced. I mean, I'm going to stick stick with it. I'm, I'm hopeful they can fix this by the end. But man, this just feels really disappointing compared to how great the first two seasons were. And it'd be sad if it went out on a disappointing note like this.
0: Well, I have loved this season, so I'm clearly in the minority. And I assume you got to see the Amsterdam episode, which I thought was perfection. That was OK. but Yeah, it was it was
1: long. It was just over an hour, but it was all right. I mean, there wasn't much Keely and Nate in it. So, yeah, it mostly it mostly worked, but it was still a lot of different plot lines going on at the same time.
2: Tim, I will yeah. say that if you get caught up this week, the most recent <laughs> episode that started on May 17th mm-hmm. basically comes across as an apology for every misstep they've had along the way this year. And I think that'll turn it around for you. Okay. I'm hopeful.
1: I still have faith in them. It's just, like I said, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's not, it's not great. And that's not what I was used to after the first few seasons.
0: Yeah. And there's a great coach beard reveal at the end of (laughs) the most recent episode as well. Okay, (laughs) And David, how about you?
2: Yeah, so our current obsession right now is Silo, which is the Apple TV Plus series based on the Wool novels by Hugh Howey. We had a friend who recommended these novels to us and was really, really emphatic about it, said that it was something we had to read. And I know that at the time, Kim and I had a shared opinion that the novels were brilliant, but after a couple of books, they kind of had, I don't know, Kim, what would you say, a sameness to them?
0: Yes, and I am in a reading group at work, and I think that that's also the general consensus of that group as well. So it's not just us.
2: Okay, but we love the concept. I mean, it really is one of the best concepts imaginable. And the thing was at the time that the books came out, dystopia wasn't, you know, like an everyday thing in storytelling. It was very, very unique at the time. So in a way, Silo has done itself a disservice by coming 15 years after it should have. If it had come out, you know, when the books did, everybody be looking at this the same way they do The Hunger Games. But I am here to tell you the television series by Graham Yost is brilliant. And I want to mention Graham Yost specifically because he did my favorite drama of the 21st century Justified. It's either that or Battlestar Galactica. And if you ask me on a given day, I might name either one of them. But those are the two series that are dramas that are special to me. And, you know, I am someone who is really, really hypercritical about writing as a rule. Justified never disappointed me. The premiere of Silo is a little bit slow. I don't think I'm being unfair to say that. But the second episode is really when they introduce Rebecca Ferguson's character in full and she immediately just takes over and it is a star turn for the ages and the third episode of Silo is as gripping as television could be. I told Kim at the time they basically use the same plot device you would generally see for a heist where, you know, they set up the drama, they set the ticking clock so that you'll know if they don't do this by this time, they're all screwed. blah, blah. But they do it for a repair and that little novel spin on the idea really, really works. I mean, like, dazzling. I'm in awe of silo so far. And what we're hearing is it's going to get better from here, which wow, if that is the case, I'm really, really impressed. And by the way, I should follow up on something I said at the start of the podcast because we haven't filled in the blanks yet. The Disney Plus show that is not leaving the service is Howard. I have had the pleasure in the past to interview Don Hahn, who is a Disney legend and who was the producer of some of the Disney Renaissance films, like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Don Hahn directed Howard. The documentary is about Howard Ashman, who was a lyricist who actually did all of the dialogue I love so much from The Little Mermaid, which Kim will tell you is my favorite Disney Renaissance story. He was a gay man who had one of the most influential jobs in Hollywood at the time writing the lyrics for Disney musicals. They said they were going to take Howard off the service days before the release of the live action version of The Little Mermaid and 13 days before the start of Pride Month. It was one of those decisions where I'm just looking around going, you've insulted a Disney legend, you've put no thought into how this actually works with The Little Mermaid, and oh, by the way, you've already kicked off Pride Month the wrong way two weeks before Pride Month starts. It was idiotic, and they have rightfully backed off from the decision. But this is a good example of how people are making these choices based on spreadsheets rather than common sense, and that's when mistakes get made.
0: End rant. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com StreamingVoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week.